This year is a special year here in Israel. It's a Shemitah year, which means a sabbatical year. And it began back in September 2021 on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Last year, at this time, we did an episode on the sabbatical year since it is one of the topics that is discussed in this week's Parsha, the Torah portion of the week. But this year, we aren't just reading about the sabbatical year, we're living it. It has been such a joy these past eight months, witnessing how this ancient practice has come alive again in the Holy Land. And true to God's word, Israel has seen the blessing of abundance this year, a sabbatical year, when it didn't work the land. There are many years when Israel suffers from not getting enough rain, but this year, God blessed us with above-average rainfall, so much so that the Sea of Galilee is nearing its maximum capacity for the first time in 30 years. So, in honor of the sabbatical year that we find ourselves in right now, a once-in-seven-years occurrence, we're going to review last year's episode on the meaning and significance of this sacred year the Shemitah year. This year holds a special opportunity for spiritual growth for all people of faith everywhere around the world. I hope that you enjoy the teachings in this episode and that they help you make the most of it. Shalom from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. One of the most exciting aspects of the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel after nearly 2,000 years is that we are able to revive ancient biblical practices that simply weren't possible outside of the Holy Land. On today's podcast, we're going to explore one of those practices, the observance of the sabbatical year, or as it's called in Hebrew, Shemitah. I'm going to tell you how this biblical practice has come alive again in Israel today, and we'll also explore its deeper message that applies to all people of faith everywhere. You don't have to be in Israel to appreciate the lessons of Shemitah. With the help of Jewish teachings about the sabbatical year, we will discover why sometimes the most productive thing we can possibly do is to do nothing at all. If you've been following this podcast, you know that every week we study scriptures from the weekly Torah portion known as the Parsha. It is the section of the Bible that is read and studied by Jews all over the world this week. And now, hopefully, some Christians like you are joining us too. This week's Parsha is called Behar Bechukotai, and it includes chapters 25 to 27 in the book of Leviticus. I hope that you can find time to read through these chapters this week. Today, we'll focus on Leviticus chapter 25, verse 1 to 4, and I'm going to read them to you. 
The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. These verses are pretty straightforward. Sometimes verses from the Bible could be alluding to something or have a certain connotation. They could be spiritual and otherworldly. But these verses tell us exactly what God wants. From the time that the Israelites entered the Holy Land, they were required to count six years during which they could work the land. But during the seventh year, they were obligated to let the land rest. This meant no planting, no pruning, no working the land in any way during the sabbatical year. Amazingly, the counting of the seven-year cycle has been preserved until this very day. From the time the Jews entered Israel thousands of years ago, not only have we kept count of these seven-year cycles— but this practice has been revived in the modern state of Israel in our lifetimes. Think about that. Many biblical directives that were observed by the ancient Israelites, including by Jesus in his time, could not be practiced over the last two millennia because the nation of Israel was conquered and sent into exile. So many of the commandments we learn about from the Bible are only relevant to this land of Israel. But now we live in prophetic times that the Bible specifically spoke about and miraculously the Jewish people have returned to their ancient homeland. We still can't implement most of the ancient practices that ended with the exile because so many of them depended upon having the holy temple in Jerusalem. For example, bringing the first fruits or bringing a sacrifice. However, observing the sabbatical year, the Shemitah year, depends only on being in Israel, not on having the temple built. And so we have the privilege in our lifetime to see the fulfillment of that biblical directive come alive once again. In fact, when the Jewish New Year begins in September 2021, we will enter the next sabbatical year in this seven-year cycle. This has very real consequences for Jews living in Israel today. For example, we cannot work our land or plant new things. We won't be able to work the land, just as it says in the Bible. Every year I like to plant vegetables, but this year some of the vegetables that naturally regrow themselves, I'm planting in bags instead of inside the ground so that I can actually tent those vegetables and not need to worry during Shemitah year that they're in the ground. You see, there's something intrinsically holy about being planted in the ground of Israel. If you plant it in a pot on your shelf, it's not considered part of the Shemitah. If you plant it in a planting bag, it's not considered part of Shemitah because it's not in the ground. It's the ground of Israel that is holy. And being planted in the earth of Israel means that it is affected by Shemitah, by sabbatical. And it's not just the backyards like me and my husband that do it for fun and for aesthetic purposes that are affected. More and more farmers in Israel 
have taken this courageous and faithful step of letting their farmland lay fallow every sabbatical year. During the sabbatical year, many of these farmers place large banners in front of their farm saying, this farm observes the sabbatical year. And I can't tell you how much seeing those signs moves me and inspires me. These modern farmers take a leap of faith of biblical proportions, trusting that God will take care of them even though they will not work their land or sell their produce for an entire year. Could you imagine that? Just driving down Israel and seeing a sign with a farm that's usually beautifully tended to, and suddenly now it's not. It looks like it's been totally neglected. But there's a sign there that says, we observe Shemitah. We believe in the promise of God that we will not be penalized for not tending to our field, but rather we will see the blessings from it. Equally inspiring to me is the incredible blessing that I see in the produce of Israel every year. And I don't think it's disconnected one from the other. Do you know what Israel looked like less than a century ago? The land of Israel was utterly desolate for centuries. No nation could get anything to grow here until the Jewish people returned and the land blossomed once more, just as God said it would. And not only does the land yield its fruits, but it does so in abundance. The other day, my daughter and I harvested a zucchini from our garden that was the size of her entire arm. It was the biggest zucchini I ever saw. And it reminded me of this biblical promise of taking care of the land in a biblical way. Then God blesses it. In Leviticus 25, 21, God promises that when we refrain from working the land in the seventh year, the sabbatical year, he will bless us with abundance. This is what he says. I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. When I see how Israel is blessed to grow enough produce, not only to feed her own people in this land that was once a desert, but actually to also export beautiful fruits and vegetables to countries around the world, I can't help but wonder if it is all in the merit of the holy farmers who do not work the land in the seventh year. This is living their faith. The verses that we are studying today are one of several places where God first instructed the Israelites to let the land of Israel rest every seven years. The verses tell us that the land itself experiences a Sabbath, similar to the Sabbath that we observe every week. Just as the Jewish people rest every seventh day, just as we were told to in the story of Genesis, the story of creation, that God worked for seven days and he rested on the seventh and to keep the seventh day, the Sabbath day holy, so too the land of Israel, it rests every seventh year. This is why the seventh year is usually referred to as the sabbatical year in English. It comes from that word of Sabbath, sabbatical. But in Hebrew, we call it the Shemitah year, which is how it is referred to in numerous places in the Bible. And it's what has been called by Jews for thousands of years. Say it with me. Shemitah. The word Shemitah literally means release. Because during the seventh year, we release our control. We let go and we let the land lay fallow. The term Shemitah teaches us that the seventh year isn't just about letting the land rest, but that it is about letting go and trusting God. 
The main message of the Shemitah year is that we need to let go of control and recognize that only God is truly in control. Since the beginning of time, human beings have worked according to the equation that our actions produce our results and that the more we work, the more we will achieve. The problem with that equation is that it shuts out God. While we need to put in our effort, this equation doesn't give the right credit to the fact that God is the true source of our success. And unless we let God in to our work, our results won't be optimal. The purpose of Shemitah is to remind us that God is the one in control. God promises that when we observe Shemitah, he will bless our produce so much in the sixth year that there will be enough for the seventh year, the eighth year, and even the ninth year until new produce emerges. The process of holding back from working the land and then receiving God's blessing in return teaches us that sometimes we need to do less in order to achieve more. This approach of letting go and letting God is something that applies to our own lives in so many different ways. But we have the ability to practice that concept of God being present in our lives and us needing God in order to succeed every single day. For some of us, this can mean taking a step back from managing every aspect of our finances, both current and future. We need to do our best. We need to have control over our finances. But then we have to also trust God to provide for us now and in the future, not to let it get us so nervous and stressed out that it makes us sick. That's where faith comes in. God loves us. He'll provide. Others of us need to let go of working on our children. We are constantly pulling out their weeds and trying to help them blossom. But sometimes we need to let go for a bit so that, with God's help, they can grow on their own. There are so many ways that we try to take control in life. But what this Bible lesson is teaching us is that specifically by letting go, we make room for God. By having control, we're filling all the space. By bringing in God, we're making room for him to bring his blessings on us, our lives, and our decisions. God wants to help us, my friends. God wants to bless us. But we need to let go and let him in. We need to make space for him. There's a Jewish tale about a merchant named Yankel. Every day, Yankel carried his wares from town to town in an attempt to sell them and make a living. One day, a horse-drawn wagon passed by Yankel as he struggled under the weight of his heavy merchandise. Now, the owner of the wagon recognized Yankel and offered him a ride. Yankel gratefully accepted the offer, but a few moments later, the wagon owner noticed that Yankel was still carrying all of his merchandise on his shoulders. Yankel, he said, why don't you put your bags down? Take a little rest. Let go of all of your merchandise on your shoulders that's so heavy. Oh, it's all right, Yankel replied. I don't want to be any trouble. You've already been so kind by offering me a ride on your wagon. I don't want to burden you with my merchandise, too. The owner turned to Yankel and said, Yankel, don't you see? My horses are pulling everything in the wagon, whether or not you are carrying them. If you put down your bags and stop carrying all of this unnecessary weight, 
It won't make it any harder for my horses, but it will make it easier for you. To the wagon owner and to us, Yankel seems like a complete fool to insist on carrying his burden when the wagon was carrying them anyways. Why did he want to leave all of his merchandise on his shoulder when he's in a carriage that the horses are carrying? Whether he held them or not, it doesn't make a difference to the horses. But when we ask ourselves, in all truth, isn't there a bit of Yankel inside each one of us? We bear the burden of worrying about things like our income, our children, our health, our plans for the future, politics. But all of that weight that bears down on us is completely unnecessary. God carries us, and he can carry our burdens too, but only when we let him. In my own life, I've learned to let go when things become too much for me to handle alone. There are many times I feel overwhelmed by the amount of work that I have to get done for the fellowship uh, or the needs of people that are calling and begging us for food that I want to just be able to give to every single one of them. And along with that, I have my four children that not only do I need to tend to, but I want to tend to. Sometimes it all just feels too much for me. And when that happens, instead of pressing onwards, needing to accomplish more, needing to do more, needing to check more off my to-do list, I actually press on the brakes. I stop. I go outside in nature. I take a walk and I put my burdens on God. I tell God how much I depend on him in order to accomplish what I need to do. I tell God that I'm feeling overwhelmed. I tell God that if he gave me all these responsibilities, he has to give me the strength and the wisdom to carry them. And you know what? When I return to my to-do list, things always come together. Somehow, by letting go, by turning to God, by putting the brakes on the stress, the brakes on the worry, I'm able to do whatever needs to be done when before it seemed impossible. In any situation where we find ourselves stuck or that life is beyond our control, the antidote is always to stop and turn to God. When we let go and have faith, we become more open to receive his unlimited blessings. Sometimes when we think that we could do everything alone, God says the same. You want to do everything alone? No problem. Go and try. But the second we turn to God and say, I can't do it alone. I can only do it with you. God steps in. God hears our prayers. Shomat filot, we say in Hebrew. He is the God who hears our prayers. Where in your life do you need to let go right now? What worries are you holding in your heart? Can you let it go and let God take over? As the Shemitah year teaches us, letting go of control and placing our faith in God can be a catalyst for abundant blessings in our lives. In Psalms 46.10, we read, Be still and know that I am God. It's one thing to say those words, but another thing to live them, to stop trying to control everything, to stop worrying about everything. The observance of Shemitah demands that we put our faith into action, truly letting go of something and trusting God to take care of it. We all have areas in our lives where we need to control less and trust God more for our own sake, for our own mental, emotional, and physical health. And I hope that you will practice doing that this week. Remember, 
This message is meant for your life this week. And when we apply the lessons of the weekly Torah portion, we are truly living with the times. Shavua Tov, my friends. Have a wonderful week from here in the Holy Land. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.